The word of our Lord from the Gospel of John. And so when Judas had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in Him. And if God is glorified in Him, God will also glorify Him in Himself and glorify Him immediately. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer, and you will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. And so now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The word of our Lord from Paul's epistle to the Philippians. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if there is any comfort of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if there is any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, by having the same love, by being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition and deceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others as better than himself. Let each of you look out not for his own interests, but for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and taking the form of a servant and coming in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient even to the point of death and even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, those in heaven and those on earth, and of those even under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my my beloved, As you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now even much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Yes, and even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. And for this same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would bless the reading of it to our hearts and our minds. And we pray that you would bless the hearing of it to our lives. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. We've been saying for the last couple of weeks that Easter is about Jesus' victory over sin and death. But I want to add to that a little bit this morning. Because Easter is also about Jesus' victory over self.
We proclaim that Christ rose from the dead. And as the Apostle Paul said, because He rose from the dead, we too also know that one day we will rise from the dead at Jesus' return. He is victorious over death. And we know that as the one who has conquered death, He is also able to conquer sin. He is able to deal with that which is within us, that plagues us, that harms us, that maims us, that destroys us. Sin always brings death. No matter how big, no matter how small, no matter how quickly it may come, it will always bring death. It is the great disease of the soul. But Christ is able to be victorious even over our sin. And in doing so, He sets us free from self. For the heart of sin is self. Sin is about what we want, about what we demand, about what we will have regardless of the consequences. And so notice that in every act of sin, there is the whisper of self. There is that whisper of grasping, of taking, of clinging. In the little sins and in the big sins. Sin is always about self. And so interestingly enough, God in His great mercy invites us into the community of other selves. Of others who are proclaiming the victorious goodness and the victorious risenness of Jesus. He is able to conquer Death. He is able to conquer sin. He is able even to conquer self. And so how does Jesus' resurrection affect the church? Is what we're going to be looking at this morning. Is the church merely an afterthought? Just kind of a collection of like-minded people who happen to get together? And, you know, if they don't get together, no harm, no foul. Or something happening in the church and among God's people and through them? Is there something substantive, something redemptive about what takes place in such a context as this? It's interesting that in Paul's letter to the Philippians, Philippians is a very intimate letter. It's, it's, uh, it's a very friendly letter. It, it seems very... Um, It seems very personal and very personable. And in the context of Paul's letter to the Philippians, he begins to draw some links of things that we often might not think of as being all that related. He draws a link between what has happened in Christ, his self-emptying and his submission and his death, and His resurrection, and His exaltation to the Father's right hand. He draws connection, uh, a link between that activity, that redemptive work of Jesus on the cross and in the empty tomb, and the mind. You've heard it a thousand times. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. And then notice what he begins to walk through. He begins to walk through Jesus' self-emptying. 
In the theological world, we call it canonic theology, emptying theology. But he connects that to Jesus' mind, his way of perceiving things, his disposition, the way he sees reality, the way he sees others, the way he sees the world, and those for whom he came. But Paul makes another link. He he links that activity of Jesus to the mind of Jesus and he links it also to Christian life. Live accordingly. Live like this. Have this same mind. Base your lives upon this redemptive reality of Jesus. But he makes another link. The activity of Jesus is linked to the mind of Jesus. And that activity and mind is linked to the life of the believer. And it's linked also to the life of the church. Because what Paul is calling for is not something that is done in isolation. He's not calling for just mere individuals to live better lives on their own. He's talking about the context of the church. Live for one another. Have this same mind together. Consider one another as better than yourselves. Look out not for yourself, but for others. And the others of whom Paul is speaking is the others of the church. The body. The church that proclaims the Lord's risenness. The church that proclaims that Christ who died and is risen will one day come again to receive His own. And this mind, this life, this working out among ourselves and among one another as the redemptive people of God Paul says is expressed in unity. Now why does Paul put such an emphasis on unity? Be of the same mind. Do all things without complaining, without disputing. Why such unity? Well, Unity is more than mere agreement. To be unified is not to say that we just agree on everything. You know, you can agree to disagree. And, you know, we always kind of laugh about that, especially when it's obvious that you can't really agree to disagree. Somebody's right, somebody's wrong. And, you know, we dismissively say, eh, agree to disagree, right? That sort of nonsense drives us nuts. But unity is more than, than just mere agreement. To be unified is not to say that, oh, we just happen to be on the same page with one another in all matters. Unity is about being for that other person. To be for someone is very different than agreeing with them in all matters, in any matters. To be for someone. 
To be for someone is to have a vested interest in them. What hurts you hurts me. Those things about which you rejoice cause me to rejoice. Not because we agree on all those things. Not because, oh, they are as important to my life as they are to yours. But your joy and your happiness are as important to my life as my own. That's what it means to be for one another. And that automatically brings up the idea of serving one another. Because to be for someone means not just that you're willing to serve them, but to some extent you do serve them. We call it love. Notice Jesus makes the parallel between service and love in the gospel. To be one and service and love are one. Just as in marriage we say the two shall become one flesh, even so in the church the many become one in Christ as they serve and love one another. Jesus said the world will know that you are mine by how you love. And that comes right on the heels, pun intended, right on the heels of Jesus washing their feet. And notice, as I observed with someone this week, Judas was among those whose feet Jesus washed. Jesus so loved even Judas that he was willing to stoop and to wash the filth from his feet. The filth that included perhaps the dirt from when he made his way back to the disciples, having agreed to betray Jesus. But Jesus is for him. He has a vested interest in him. To love someone else is to desire and to work for the greatest possible good for that someone else. To love another means I want what is absolutely best for you. And not only that, I will work for the absolutely best for you. Just as unity is so much more than mere agreement, love is so much more than mere kindness. You know, so often we so cheapen what love is and we think that it's just kind of niceness. You know, being pleasant with one another. But love is so much more than that. Love, true love, is sometimes willing to be unkind not in a rude and spiteful way, but in a hard way. Love is more than mere acceptance. 
Love is more than mere affirmation. Because love is to desire and to work for the greatest possible good for the beloved. And it's sometimes difficult to love. Sometimes love requires hard things of us. It causes uh, it calls for us to, to 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 deal with matters and to to address subjects that are difficult that hurt. Love is sometimes difficult to receive. You remember Jesus' rebuke of Jesus. Oh Lord, you're not washing my feet. That's too small of a task for you. I won't let that happen. Sometimes it's hard to be loved by someone because to receive love requires a sense of of humility and a sense of submission love is often difficult to explain It's not a simple equation of, oh, this and this means that. It's hard to explain what happens in the life of a church. It's hard to explain what happens in the life of a family where there's love. We often refer to the church as a a hospital for the sick. And to be sure, it is a hospital for the sick, but it's also much more than that. The church is a home. A home in which broken lives and hurt relationships are healed and are nurtured. It's a place where broken people gather, not just to celebrate their brokenness, but so that they might be healed. So that they might be restored. So that among one another they might be nurtured in a new way. In a way that leads to life and health and peace. And this happens only as we serve one another. To be a part of the church means more than just to attend a gathering. To be a part of the church means to serve one another. To actively love one another. Not merely to agree in all matters. Not merely to have the same opinions or the same positions on certain things. But to love and to serve one another. And this healing of broken and hurt lives and this healing of broken and hurt relationships, this nurturing of life and relationships that we find in the church 
It happens also only as we serve those around us and those beyond us. Because God is always drawing the attention of His people to His world. To the work that He wants to do in their communities. To the work that He wants to do in the lives of others who do not yet know the love and the joy and the peace and the fellowship of the body. See, church is more than just mere attendance, but it's also more than just mere Sundays. Because to be the church is to be people who are equipped, perhaps on Sundays, to minister to the world on every other day. See, the body of Christ, the church, is itself in Christ a victorious reality because in the church we find a home for those who are longing, for those who are weary, for those who admit their weakness. They are able to point their attention. They're able to to direct their eyes upon Jesus who is victorious who is conquering. In this we find Him, the victorious one, the one who conquers. In this we find Him, the great physician, the one who heals. And in this we find Him, the good shepherd, the one who leads, the one who leads us beside still waters. The one who leads us even in darkness. In the church, Jesus invites us to one another and he approaches us through one another. In the church, he equips us and beckons us out into a dark world as light bearers. He beckons us out into a world filled with sick and broken and hurt people, bringing life and healing and restoration. The church is a transformed community which walks in victorious life. Even now. And the church is a remembering community which proclaims our Lord's victory. For even as we break bread together, even as we say and hear the words, this do in remembrance of me, we remember that His body which was broken was also raised. And His blood that was shed was given to bring life to the world. The church is an expectant community which declares that victory which is yet to come.
that Christ who died is the one who is risen and he will come again. And so we're invited to the meal. We're welcomed to the table. And when the church gathers together around the Lord's table to share in the Lord's Supper, the family is gathered together. And all are welcome to fellowship together, to feast together. For all are then to be fed before leaving. We find in the church as we live for one another, as we give of ourselves, as we, as we serve one another, we find a home. We find a home that provides rest and health. We find a respite from our weariness. We find a new place to be ourselves, to be healed by the one who is victorious, to be healed from death, to be healed from sin, and to be healed from self. For that is the way of Jesus. The one who conquered death. The one who defeated sin. Is the one who gave himself. For the sake of the world. And he invites us to come. He welcomes us in. He tells us to rest in Him. Let's pray.